Okay, we continue our series from the book of Philippians. We're down to Philippians chapter 4. Philippia. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And our focus today will be verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Fikr nakaro. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. That's our focus. So we plan to look at the seven verses in light of that part of the verse. So, by the way, this is the only other place. I mean, this place and one other place in the New Testament really makes a strong emphasis not to worry. Where's the other place? In Matthew chapter 6, right? Where Jesus says three times, he knows we worry. Anybody not worry here? I think everybody worries. Chief one? Well, we would we could argue that, right? We we would because <laughs> I mean anxiety is such a big thing, right? For God's people, it really is. And and notice that Jesus says it three times, right? Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And so the Apostle Paul must have known, you know, what Jesus has spoken. Of course he has, and now he mentions that here too. In uh, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my beloved, long for brethren, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia, I implore Sintaike, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So that's our focus this morning, is that first part of verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Or worry about nothing. You know, the Apostle Paul here, in this letter, he's not merely giving advice. He's not just giving his personal opinion and saying, you know, take it or leave it. No, with the congregation of Philippi, with us too, these words... These words of practical exhortation come with authority. They come with the authority of King Jesus himself. And in our world of unbelief, in our world which rejects King Jesus, a world that's hostile to Jesus, Apostle Paul, first of all, he knows here, he exhorts the people in Philippi, the believers in Philippi, he says, first of all, stand firm in the Lord. You know, three phrases where it says, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. The first one is, stand firm in the Lord. In other words, don't let others make you waver. Don't let sin make you waver. Stand firm in the Lord. And this means that we be of one mind in the Lord. You see that in verse 2 and 3. Stand together. Let's stand together in the gospel. And of course the third, rejoice in the Lord. 
The three go together, don't they? You know, stand firm in the Lord, be of one mind in the Lord, and rejoice in the Lord. Usually when you have two, you have the other one as well. And so, just I want to spend just a few minutes, a few minutes on verses 2 and 3 before we go to um, the problem with anxiety. And you'll notice that in the church of Philippi, a dispute or disagreement broke out in the congregation. That's not abnormal. That often happens, right? Disputes, disagreements will arise within the congregation. But here it was between two prominent women in the congregation. Their names are Yodia and Syntyche. Big disagreement had occurred. And notice the Apostle Paul. He sees how it's having an effect on the entire congregation. That's why he's public about it. And he addresses them. He says, I implore Yodia, and I implore Syntyche, what? To be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he says, and I also urge you, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. You know, when we're not of one mind in the Lord, what happens? Our fellowship is disrupted, isn't it? It disrupts our fellowship in the gospel, our koinonia in the gospel, and it damages our witness in the community. So much practical wisdom can be learned here for resolving disputes, resolving disagreements among fellow believers. We've seen our share in churches in general the last couple of years, especially. But you notice what applies for resolving disputes in marriages, Christian marriages, also applies for resolving disputes in the congregations. Just a few things we should bring out here. First of all, be of one mind. One mind. And notice here that Apostle Paul here brings us back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and 4. To be of one mind means to be of the one mind that we find in Jesus Christ, the one mind of Christ himself. And what was that mind of Christ? Esteeming others better than himself. Right? Think of verse 3 of chapter 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. That's one of the key things, right? In terms of having that one mind. Of course, based on the word of God. That's what Paul says too, in the Lord. One mind in the Lord. That's the key thing here. So that's the one thing, right? And lowliness, thinking, uh, having, having the interests of the others before yourself. The second thing is, in every dispute, what do you need? You need a wise mediator, a wise wachola, to reconcile two parties that don't, two sides that don't agree. And notice how the Apostle Paul deals with each of these two women here. He deals with them equally, fairly, even-handedly. He doesn't take sides. Notice how he uses the word implore twice. I implore you, Yodia, and I implore you, uh, Syntyche. Use that word implore twice. Each of them equally. 
As a matter of fact, you even see it alphabetized. So the one whose letter comes first in the alphabet comes first, and the other one second. Not to show any kind of favoritism at all. Paul doesn't take sides. He simply implores each side with equal firmness. I implore, I implore. And of course, because Paul's in prison, he knows he, got, he has to find the best person that's, that, that would be the wisest person to res, help resolve that disagreement, a person within the congregation itself, a fellow uh, companion, a true companion that verse 3 brings out. But notice here, the verb implore is a real strong one. It's so strong that, I mean, the reason why it's so strong is because in Christ, we are reconciled to God, aren't we? God reconciles us. God reconciles through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, among Christians, resolving disputes is a fruit, always a fruit of being reconciled to Christ. It's necessary. It's right. It's the right thing. It's the fruit of the reconciling work of Christ by his spirit in the lives of believers. What a powerful testimony to a divided, angry world, isn't it? To see the spirit of Christ carrying on his, carrying on his reconciling work within the body of believers. Believers are so different from one another. And bringing that one mind. Of course, that's, that's often, there's often tensions. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a long process often. But you know that goal, right? To have Christ before us. To have the mind of Christ in us. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul, he doesn't think bad of either woman. He speaks so warmly of them. He says, you know, you worked at my side laboring in the gospel. He probably helped in all kinds of practical ways with the Apostle Paul. But he says, your agreement should be in the Lord. Not based on human reasoning. Not based on what's political. But based on the Lord. Based on the word of God. As unresolved disputes disrupts fellowship in the gospel. What else disrupts fellowship in the gospel? Anxiety. Okay. Disagreements or disputes, you could say, disrupts fellowship in the gospel. But so does anxiety, doesn't it? <laughs> and that's one that really pertains to, I think, all of us here, everyone here. That's why the Apostle Paul addresses it also in, Philipp, in the Philippi. Why is it? Because when we become anxious, what do we do? We become um, inward focused. When we become inward focused, it's sometimes difficult to think, first of all, Christ and then others. Think back to the word joy. Jesus, others, yourself. But when in, in, in anxiety, the temptation is to put ourselves or to think about ourselves first. And then we tend to forget the other aspects, which really make up what fellowship is all about in the Lord. And so we have the Lord's instruction here in verses 4 through 7. And he says, be anxious for most things. No. Be anxious for nothing. What? Nothing? You mean, there's, is, there no, is there not one thing in your life that you should not be anxious about? 
Surely, Lord, you don't know some of my deepest, deepest anxieties. You should forgive me for having this kind of anxiety. Of course, the Lord does forgive. But Lord, you can understand, right? Well, it's very clear. Be anxious for nothing. And then you say, well, that's easier said than done. Well, that's true. It's easy to say it. It's hard to put it into practice. But you know, that's why the Apostle Paul, that's why the Jesus here, King Jesus here, addresses us through the Apostle Paul. And he wants to address that whole problem of anxiety. But also, how do we deal with that? How do we overcome it by the grace of God? Of course, it's by the grace of God. So we want to see three things here. First of all, the problem of anxiety. We're going to focus on four, five, and six. What's the answer to anxiety? Verse 6b. And then we're going to look at the protection that God gives from anxiety or the armor against anxiety. But let's look at the problem first. What is it that causes anxiety in us? It's circumstances, isn't it? Sometimes unforeseen circumstances. Circumstances we can't control in our lives. These things contribute to worry. They cause us to worry. And we become burdened with all kinds of cares. And then those cares seem to multiply and multiply and become very heavy. And the Philippian believers, the believers in Philippi, were not strangers to anxiety. Because, as we've seen in the last few weeks, that anxiety was likely caused by social pressures of living differently as followers of Jesus. They're facing some of the implications of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in society. It doesn't always make it easy to be a follower of Jesus. They're living in an environment where the allegiance is, first of all, not to King Jesus, but their allegiance is, first of all, to Caesar and to the Roman, to everything Roman. We would say, in Canada, you know, perhaps there's a sense of, there's many who would say, no, you give your allegiance first to the state and everything Canadian. That's Christians who say, no, 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 no. We give our allegiance, first of all, to King Jesus and to his word. And that caused sometimes, you know, uh, struggles, perhaps. They're wondering about the future of their jobs as Christians. Or maybe their, their futures as Christians or as families themselves living in the state of uh, Rome. We're just not in control of those things in our lives, are we? Of our circumstances. But the Lord is. And the call is to trust him. And of course it applies to all kinds of domestic, uh, especially, uh, or certain pressing anxieties in our own, in our own lives. Maybe it's the onset of old age. That could be one thing. Paying mortgages. Oh, that's really big today. Mortgages, that becomes, that's become a big burden. Raising children in our society. Not always easy. We become afraid or we become anxious about the future. Coping with stress in business. Concern about health or concern about the future. What does anxiety do? It does three things. <laughs> As you look at verses 4, 5, and 6, you see it does three things. It stifles. First of all, it stifles joy. It stifles or it hinders or it challenges your joy in the Lord. That's what we want to look at, first of all, briefly. 
In the midst of those circumstances, notice how verse 4 begins. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord! Again I will say, rejoice. I missed the word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. He's not saying, we have to be very careful, he's not saying rejoice in your circumstances. That's not what he's saying here. Circumstances are not always easy. But he is saying rejoice in what? Or in whom? Rejoice in the Lord. Basically, you could almost say he quotes Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will do this. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's where we're going to find our satisfaction. That's why he made us, to find our delight in him. Don't forget, where's Paul when he's saying rejoice in the Lord? Is he sitting in his nice castle? No, he's in prison. He's in jail. And, and by the way, he's got chains on his arms and chains on his legs and has a little freedom once in a while maybe inside, but he's the one that's saying, rejoice. What? Paul's circumstances are not happy, but his happiness, his joy is in whom? In the Lord. That's, it, it's, it doesn't mean there's always a smile on the face, but there's an inner, something very peaceful about that kind of joy that the Lord gives and that's where we find our true joy. It's only going to be in Jesus. In Jesus. You know, in, Jesus, in knowing Jesus crucified, and knowing him as the risen and reigning Lord and coming again, that's the only way we're going to savor that taste of, of real joy in everyday life. Think about it. It's that framework. It's only that framework of knowing Christ crucified Christ risen, Christ reigning, Christ is king. It's only that framework around our lives where we can live our lives in joy. Because it doesn't end in death. It doesn't end in, um, it doesn't end in something bad. It, it ends in something good. It ends in life. He's the risen and reigning king. That means he's in charge of all of my life. The hard part is submitting to that. But submitting to that brings joy. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I will say rejoice. Anxiety stifles that. It really does. You know, I think our wives know us the best about how anxious we can get. Or our husbands know how anxious we can get. They know the best after the Lord. The Lord knows our hearts really well. You know, and anxiety, as you could say, is the great thief, the great robber of joy. And now Paul says, okay, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Again, I will say rejoice. No, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And we have to remember, too, joy is not, first of all, a feeling. Sometimes we have feelings of joy, but that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, I want you to feel joy. No, the joy he's speaking about here is a, a mindset. It's a change of the will. It's a change of attitude wrought in us by the working, the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. These are the ways the Holy Spirit really works practically in the lives of believers. Right? It's, it's a work he, he gives. We have to ask Jesus for that. 
That joy in Scripture is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of the mind and heart. So yeah, rejoice. One of the things anxiety stifles is joy. What's another thing it stifles? It's hard to be gentle and kind to one another if we're anxious, isn't it? Because we're so wrapped up in whatever we're thinking about, it becomes very, very hard to show the kindness that Jesus wants us to show to others. That's why Apostle Paul says in verse verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all people, to all men. What's it mean to be gentle? Well, gentle means to have an attitude of kindness. When you, when the when the expected response would be one of retaliation, it's sometimes it's so easy to retaliate. But Paul says in those times and all times, show kindness. Often when we're anxious, are we gentle with other people? I, I think maybe we tend to snap. We tend to become short. We become impatient. We become harsh towards others. And again, anxiety is a great robber. It's a thief. Satan loves to harass us. He loves to harass us. He he doesn't want us to be joyful. Satan don't want you to be gentle. He's a robber. He's a thief. And he wants to take those things away from us. And one of those ways is anxiety. Oh, it's a great thief of our fellowship in the gospel. Let your gentleness be known. Oh, make let it be known. Let others come to say, hey, we know him to be gentle, or we know her to be gentle. Wow. The problem of anxiety is that it dampens joy. It sometimes and often prompts a harsh response. But one more thing it does. It easily questions or doubts the Lord's nearness in your life. Don't you find that? You think, Lord, you care about everybody else, but... You're not really caring about me. And so, what happens? We start doubting his love. We start questioning his goodness. We get so focused on ourselves that we forget that the Lord is actually near. We forget that we are here to serve one another. Yeah, Paul, so Paul would say it easily becomes a form of selfish ambition. Hey, anxiety can easily become one of those branches of Selfish ambition in our lives. What's Paul saying in verse 5? The Lord is near. Of course, it may refer to his second coming, but I think it could equally apply to the fact that he is near in a sense of he's present. He's near you all the time in Christ. And therefore, you can live confidently in the fact that he is near you. I think sometimes in our anxiety, it's not that the Lord isn't near. He's near all right. But in our anxiety, we kind of push God away. And then he feels distant. We push Jesus away, and then we say, he's not near. So who moved away? Not Jesus. He's there. He's there all the time for his people, at all moments, and every day. But it's we who push, our, it's we who push him away from us. And then we find it really hard to pray, don't we? Or we pray, but... We doubt as we pray, not genuinely giving it over to the Lord. The words of Psalm 145 says it this way, The Lord is near 
to all who call upon him, to all who caught upon him in truth. So yeah, think of those challenges to anxiety, those robbers. It robs you of joy, it robs you of gentleness, and it robs you of the sense of the fact that Jesus is near. Those blessed fruits of the Christian life. It keeps you from living it as fully as you should. What's the answer? Thank God there's an answer. And it's an answer for everyone. For everyone who's anxious. That means all of us to some degree, right? Become anxious and therefore the answer's to everyone. What's the answer? Pray. Sometimes that's maybe the last thing on our list. We want to get everything figured out first. And say, oh, yeah, yeah, we should ask the Lord about this. No, it should be the very first thing. Pray. He is near you. He's the one. He's your king. Nobody else can solve it for you. But he can. And he'll solve it in his own way. He's close at hand. And therefore, don't be anxious about anything. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But here's the contrast. Instead of being anxious, pray. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, you know what? Your anxieties, throw them on Jesus. He wants them. He's willing to take them. Don't keep it for yourself because it becomes very hard. Throw them on Jesus. That's what praying is. With those anxieties, throw it. Cast it upon him. Don't hold on to it. Give it over to the Lord. It's like Peter, you know, Apostle Paul encourages us to cast all those things which cause anxiety, put them on the Lord, put them on his back. And he so willingly takes it because, you know, he, he went to the cross. If he loved you enough to save you from your sins, don't you think, don't I think, that he'll also bury, he'll carry our burdens, every one of them. That's why he says, in everything. Not just some of your anxieties, but in everything. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know what is so true about God that encourages us to pray? What can you say about God that encourages us to pray? He's always faithful. He's always near. And you know, he doesn't listen to us because we deserve it. None of us deserves to be listened to by God. But he listened to us, why? Because of Christ. We come through Christ, through faith in Jesus, and he promises to hear us. Verse 6, in everything, nothing is too big for God to accomplish in your life. Nothing is so small that God is not concerned about it. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In that, let your requests be made known to God. How, how specific are we in our prayers to God? Are we very specific? I mean, we can pray, help me, Lord. But now what the Lord wants to hear is, how, does, how do you want him to help you? Very specific. Make your requests, let your requests be made known to God. Bring definite, specific requests before him. That's the sense here. Sometimes I think we don't do that because, well, we don't really believe it anyway. <laughs> but a prayer of faith is, 
just bringing all the specifics before him and laying it in his lap. Remember Paul? That thorn in the flesh was really bugging him. It was eating him up. And how many times did he pray the Lord would take it away? Three times. Very specifically, he prayed, Lord, take away the thorn of my flesh. And the Lord answered Paul's prayer, but in a different way. The Lord resolved the anxiety in his life. God says, no, I'm not taking the thorn away, but I'm telling you that my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made per perfect in weakness. And Paul, he just kept on moving on. He trusted the Lord, and he was, that that joy was restored to him, and also that gentleness. Maybe you need wisdom in a certain circumstance in your life. You know, anxiety stifles your joy in the Lord, your gentleness towards others. But, you know, pray for wisdom. Think of James 1, verses 5 through 8. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should he do? In your circumstance? In your anxiety? Let him ask God. And how does God give? He gives to all liberally. He gives to all generously. Without finding fault. He's not going to say, well, because you're like this and this and this, I'm not going to give you wisdom. He does all without finding fault. Ask him, says James. And notice promise, and it will be given to him. But there's a condition. Let him ask in faith, without doubting. And then he gives a picture of what the anxious man looks like, what the anxious person looks like. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, back and forth, back and forth, feeling always unsettled, never sure. And James says, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wow. You know, surround your burdens. This is important too, the prayer of faith. When we mention, or when we bring our specific request before him, don't do it in a complaining way. Oh Lord, you're not so nice to me. You know, why do I have to have all this? Why do I have to have this circumstance? No. You surround your petitions with thanksgiving to the Lord. I love this little story from Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was in the concentration camp with her sister Betsy for quite a few months in Germany during World War II. And she shares how she was complaining about all the lice in her barracks and lice all over the place. And she was, said, Lord, like, she was being very troubled and anxious by all of this. And finally, her sister Betsy put a stop to it. Corey, thank God for the lice. Thank God. Give thanks to God for the lice. And why, why? Well, because it keeps the guards out. Because the guards don't like the lice. And that gives us more time to read the Bible and have Bible studies with all the other women. Okay? There's, there's always a reason. There's a purpose. And she could, therefore, give thanks to God for the lice in her barracks. Wow. You know, when we're cleansed from our sin in Christ Jesus, He gives us the strength. He gives us that the Holy Spirit 
to begin to cultivate that kind of that kind of attitude um, of, of thanksgiving, of, of begin to cultivate that attitude of joy, of being gentle. There's no greater result, though, than his promise of peace when we hand it over to the Lord. Beautiful part of handing out all our anxieties to the Lord, making specific requests, is that the Lord takes all the anxieties, and what does he give in exchange? Peace. See verse 7? The peace of God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't this what anxiety affects? Anxiety affects what? Our hearts and our minds, doesn't it? And it's that peace of God that guards our hearts and minds. What is this peace of God? The peace of God follows directly from peace with God. First comes peace with God, which comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Romans 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we are reconciled to God. This is how we have peace with God, is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace always is there. But now Apostle Paul is talking about not the peace with God, the peace with God we already have in Christ. We're justified by faith through Christ. But now he's speaking not the peace with God, but the peace of God. That peace is the fruit of a day-to-day trusting and submitting our anxieties to him. You know, God wants us to live our Christian life to the full. Uh, That's why he's given us a spirit. To cultivate um, those kind of attitudes, the new attitudes in Christ Jesus. You might say the peace of God is really the enjoyment of that peace in the Christian life. It's the enjoyment of it. This peace is described as what? A peace which surpasses all understanding. Think of those words of Isaiah 26 verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. I think, you know, it's just a little over five years ago that our brother Henry Bombany died. Right? Terrible cancer. And I think a number of people commented, yeah, but there's such peace in his life. Of course, he, was, he had peace with God, but the, also the peace of God in his life. Right? He was uh, very grateful to the Lord. Anytime you spoke with him, it was always about the Lord and how are you doing? Right? There was the evidence of the joy in the Lord, and there was the evidence of that gentleness towards others. That's it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's something we can learn, that's something we can practice and grow in. But above all, there's something that the Lord gives. It's the strength that He provides in order to help us in this. Apostle Paul uses the metaphor from the military to describe the activity of the peace of God. What does this peace do? It will guard. I think of a guard. What does a guard do? He guards, right, from bad things happening. He will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the Philippians really understood that because they lived in a city that had, uh, it was a garrison kind of city. Soldiers were stationed in Philippi all over to defend the city and to keep the city from uprisings or to put down or to settle those uprisings. 
Likewise, says the Apostle Paul, God's peace will, God's peace will garrison, or God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And that peace, of course, we already have that peace with God in Christ, but that peace, that peace of God, you get to enjoy it. We begin to enjoy it when, by grace, by the grace of God, we submit to Christ, handing all our anxiety. That's part of submission to Christ, the King. Part of our submission, part of our submitting to Christ the King is also handing all our anxieties, which Satan loves to harass us with. He loves to harass our hearts and minds with it. And But God has placed, he has mounted his peace as a guard at the door of your, of your, of your heart and mind. Think of Christ, he's the garrison. He's the refuge. He's the fortress. Hide behind him. It protects the heart and mind. He does. It protects us from becoming anxious. And when we become anxious, it helps us to conquer. He conquers anxiety. This peace, what does it do? It, it, it comes, it, it, it brings, you could say, that joy in the Lord. It brings that gentleness to all as God commands. Brothers and sisters, Christ on the cross, what did he do? He battles Satan, that great harasser, the one who wants to steal that peace and joy and gentleness from you. Christ not only battles Satan, but he defeated him, he crushed his head from the cross, or on the cross, and he showed it by rising again on the dead on the third day. And what's the first thing Jesus says to his disciples? Rejoice. That's what Paul says here too. Rejoice. And what's the second thing Jesus says? Peace be to you. Rejoice. Peace be to you. And this he said to them, in the midst of all the anxieties and fears and doubts that the disciples are working through, for all who trust on Jesus. You know, the crucified Jesus. He's the risen Lord. He's the reigning king. And he is the garrison. He is the refuge. He's the fortress. He has won the battle. No need. Is there a need to worry? Do we worry? Oh, we still do. We, we do it. We find ourselves becoming anxious. But there's no need to because Christ has won the battle. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Amen.